I often go to God and say, what do you want me to say? Got the whole Bible. Where do you want me to go? Never been big on series. I know preachers that are very good at doing series and they preach through the Bible or through the book of Acts or through the book of John or through the book of... Uh, I, I did that in my Sunday school lesson when I taught Sunday school. I went through most of the books in the New Testament, probably all of them. And then many of the books, the Old Testament, Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, timelines, et cetera, through the years. Uh, but in my preaching, I have never felt peace about that. I always felt like, what do God's people need today? Well, they need today. What do you want me to give them today? My job is to give you something and spiritually edify you and raise you up and help you and mature you and encourage you. A lot of what you see in our foyer is the best we have. It's really our best foot forward, a missions program. You ought to be in a missions program, be given to a missions program. If you want to be right with God and make him happy, give to, give to the world evangelism. The second thing we have in the foyer is we have a Bible board. If you want to please God, tell him you're going to read his book. I mean, it's just that simple. You say, it's not hard to be a Christian. It's not complicated. So we, we encourage people to read the book. Read the book. Then we have uh, lists up on the board there over on the right. And we first come in on the left, groups of people we pray for. We believe we should pray for each other. I pray for all those missionaries by name, one at a time, as well as all those people on the Bible board and as well as all those lists that are up on the board back there because it's the least I could do. The least we can do for each other is pray one for another. Matthew chapter 28, 1 through 5, is where I've been led to go today. Matthew chapter 28, 1 through 5. What will your reaction be? I want you to try to... Put, this, put your mind around this a little bit. What will your reaction be when you see Jesus? Let's say you're going to see Jesus this afternoon. This afternoon. Well, I'm not ready, preacher. That's why we're here. And so you can get ready. But somebody here in this room, or all of us, all of us, that are born again, rapture may happen at any time. Boom, we're going to see the face, we're going to see the Lord Jesus being accountable to him, right? No more time to go back and do reparations. There's no reparations in the kingdom of God. This is your moment to shine. This is your moment to, to live for, with the light that you've been given. Live with the understanding you under who have. Live to the fullest of what God lets you do. Don't let your fear, your anxiety, your selfishness, your desire to play, desire to have things overcome the greatest opportunity that's ever been given to mankind and that's to live for God and to do his will. Woo! Jesus said it in many different ways, but he said, put your treasures in heaven where the moths don't come and the rust doesn't come and you can't have a stock market crash. You can't have a Black Tuesday in heaven. And you can't have a hurricane take all your stuff away. Lately, I don't know why, but I've just been kind of going in my house. I never dreamt I'd live in a house as nice as I live in, by the way. I have a 1,552-square-foot house. I can't believe how big my house is. 
1,552 feet. I was raised with three brothers in a 600-square-foot house. Now, some of you, no offense, man, but some of you aren't happy if you don't have 3,500 square feet and there's only two of you. My wife and I, have, we have we're ashamed at how much space we have. I mean, it's a shame. We've got two bedrooms unoccupied, but don't get any ideas. <laughs> if you need to go somewhere, Brother Whiff's got plenty of room. He'll have you over. <laughs> uh, no, we have people over. I've had all kinds of people stay at my place. I mean, really. But don't miss this opportunity called life that you get to live for God. Don't you let it go by. Don't you let it slip by. Don't you let anything stop. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1, verse 1 through 5. And in the end of the Sabbath, and Jesus has already been crucified, three days have passed. And, of course, he said he would be raised like Noah three days, three nights. So on the end of the Sabbath, as it became, began to dawn toward the first day of the week, that's Sunday, that's where we're at today, came Mary Magdalene. It's interesting, I looked up the various places that these, these what we call the three Marys that showed up at the tomb. You know, I'm ashamed of the man. I'm just going to pause here. I'm ashamed of the man. Where were the men? They were at the, they, the, the, the Marys followed Joseph of Arimathea to the tomb because they wanted to find out where he was going to be buried so they could go back and honor him by spices and different things, you know, that they would put on dead people. But more than that, they remembered he said he was going to be raised the third day. They knew where he was, and it was Mary Magdalene. Look at the list there, Mary Magdalene. And the other Mary, that was in other places of Scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you look at the parallel passages, that's Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. And then there was another Mary there, which is Mary, the not in this passage, but Mary, the, the, the mother of Zebedee boys. That was James and John, sons of thunder, they were called. And those were the three Marys that were there, and I just want to know where the men are. I just, I just want to know where the leadership's at. Here are these women. Outdid the men, showed up. In fact, the men didn't even believe him when he went back and gave testimony. But anyway, there's the Marys. And then behold, there was a great earthquake. And the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning. Not long ago at my house, my wife and I were sitting on our porch. We have a little porch, and that's one of the most beautiful things about the house is we have this little porch. And, and uh, we go, well, I tell my wife, porch time. I'll yell through the house. I don't know where she's at. I can't hear well anymore. So when she answers me, I don't know what part of the house she's in because I've lost my directional hearing. So I'll just yell, porch time. And the other day I changed the name, and I said, Twinkie time. I went and got a Twinkie, health food. Went and got a Twinkie. You've had as much bad news as I've been given. You eat Twinkies. And you take a Twinkie. I said, we go out on the porch and have our Twinkie and and a little uh, non-decaffeinated something or another. It's Twinkie time. That's a beautiful thing. We were sitting there having porch time, Twinkie time, whatever you want to call it. And boom, man, during a thunderstorm, the lightning hit 
oh, I would say about 20 feet. I mean, I jump. It's hard to jump when you're sitting down, but it seems like you're able to jump. I'd say, I have to think I went up about a foot, man. She did too. It almost deafening. It was a whiteout. It was a, the, the, when the hit, lightning hit, it was just a whiteout. It was just all white. And then the sound, almost simultaneously when you're that close. And lightning hit one of my favorite oak trees I planted over on the right side there. And man, oh man, that's the way this was. This old boy came down like boom, like lightning. And lightning's, I don't know about you, but lightning's intimidating. You can not only see it, hear it, but you can feel it. The shock wave of that lightning went through me and my wife, hit us. And, and John, we had not long after that, we had lightning hit in front of our porch in a tree about another 20 feet away. Another shot, just beautiful. I mean, I love lightning in Florida. The, you people that come down for the winter, I feel sorry for you. The best time of the year here is June, July, and August. It's the best time of the year. You can go in any restaurant you want. We also have these massive thunderclouds come by 30 to 50,000 feet, and they come by and they have these lightning storms. I don't know if you get those up north much or not, but we get them here with tropical weather. Man, it's fabulous. But I wanted you to get an idea of what happened here on this guy. They're, they're sitting there. Now, this is a probably about four soldiers, if I, if I remember right, of the Roman guard had been given to make sure nobody broke into this thing. So here they are, the Roman guard. They're, they're toughened. Uh, this is their garden. This thing for their life. Nobody's going to get in there and take Jesus and open that tomb. They'll exchange their life to try to stop them from happening. That's how serious it is. And so the great earthquake comes, or a great earthquake. Then boom! This lightning raiment. His raiment was his, his clothing was like snow. We down here don't know what that means. We mean it's like white, like Pensacola Beach. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, these big, tough, brave Roman soldiers shook and passed out. And these women, these three Marys as they call them, uh, the, the, he said to the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. Oh, may God give us something out of these five short verses this morning. Father, help us, we pray. Come. Oh, may there be somebody in this room today who says, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Roman keepers were responsible, as I mentioned before, to make sure nobody, nobody got in that tomb, nobody moved the stone. The penalty for their failure was their life. They could, it was life for life with a Roman soldier. We find that out in Acts chapter 12, verse 19. They were guarding Peter. The angel came, let Peter out. Again, they, were, they passed out or were in some sort of a sleep or whatever, and, and uh, the angel comes in and gets Peter out and said, take off. Kicks, I like the way he kicked him and said, get dressed. He didn't dress him up like a little baby. He kicked him and said, hey, get your clothes on. And Peter thought he was in some sort of a dream and he finally got out and obeyed it, obeyed it, obeyed the angel there. 
And then in verse 19, and it says, And when Herod had sought for him, that is Peter, and found him not, he examined the keepers. Now that could be by scourging or that could be by anything. He examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went through from Judea to Caesarea, where there he abode. So they put these guys to death. I thought about that. I meditated a little bit this week on, on that whole deal. These guys were innocent. I mean, angels came and let Peter out. And, you know, they said, hey, an angel came. Something happened. We don't know how it happened. But all of us, you know, we all passed out. When we woke up, he was gone. And Herod didn't believe. No. No, somebody paid you off. Somebody did something. But the rule was, if a prisoner got away, you died. That's why they put the spear in Jesus' side on the cross. Same rule. They had to make sure the people on the cross were dead. If they got off the cross alive, the soldier would be put on the cross until he died. And so that soldier didn't break the legs of Jesus. Of course, that was a prophecy that not a bone of him would be broken from the Old Testament. They didn't know all that, but that was just God's doing. He took a sword. Of course, a Roman soldier knows where to make sure to stab you, he knows where your heart's at. And he knew he, when he went up and hit into the heart, you were not going to live through something like that. Water and blood came out. People said water because of the broken heart. Jesus died of the broken heart syndrome. As he became our sin. So these keepers, these Roman soldiers, notoriously tough, rigorous physical demands. Interesting in the remains of Pompeii, most of you know Pompeii was buried in ash, suddenly. And so the bodies they find in Pompeii, how many ever been, anybody been to Pompeii here? All you people been to Pompeii? Isn't it amazing? I mean, it's amazing. I've not been there, but I've seen pictures of it, how these bodies have been preserved just the way they fell. Well, they found a lot of Roman soldiers at Pompeii, and they were able to do autopsies on the soldiers and found that they're, they were so physical, it was such a rigorous thing to be a Roman soldier that their joints were wore out. They had, they had advanced wear of their knee joints and shoulder joints when they went and examined them. Because why? Because they were physically doing exercise and running, and, and it was a rigorous life for them. These tough, battle hardened soldiers trained to kill they had faced death. They didn't have a problem with facing death, they didn't have a problem with killing people. No problem at all. They'd do it because they knew they'd lose their life if they didn't. The Bible says they did shake and became as dead men. I don't know if you've ever been in a position where something has surprised you or scared you enough to where you begin to shake. Throughout the Bible, various times that people's knees, Belteshazzar, remember him, Belshazzar? And he saw the hand appear and wrote on the wall. The Bible says his knees smote one another. His knees smote each other. So when some of these boys get up here to quote these verses, that's what they're doing. Back here in the pulpit, their knees, why they can't remember is because their, their adrenaline system goes wild and their nerves get, and when you tighten up nervous, you can't remember anything hardly. And so they get up here and try to quote a verse. They've quoted a hundred times during the week. They've quoted it to their wife. They've quoted it to their dog. They've quoted it to their cat. They've quoted it to anybody that walked by. They get up here. Uh, they get Jim not looking at you. <laughs> by the way, you're doing better, Jimmy. I must say, Jimmy is improving with time. You are overcoming. 
you're overcoming that nerve deal that you get when you get up here. And that's beautiful to see somebody beat through that. I appreciate Jim not beating through that. I appreciate anybody getting up here that struggles. Uh, Thomas struggles, and he's, he's beating through that. He's just going to do it till he wins. And amen, glory to God, hallelujah, you will win. You will win. Well, these, these soldiers, man. So you got to ask the question, why did they shake and pass out? The Bible says for fear of him, for fear of him. And so in the verse 4 there, for fear of him. The Bible tells you why they passed. They didn't pass out because of the lightning. They passed out because they had fear of when they saw this angel. But there was, it was something much deeper than what's on the surface. They had been in all kinds of horrible situations. They had been in probably in battles by that time. Uh, where, where guys were getting killed around them and crying for their mama and all this other stuff and the horror of war. They had seen that. It wasn't, it wasn't the normal reason for these guys to pass out like that and, and, and to shake like that. There was something deeper, something unusual happened to these men. When I was a kid, I know you have a hard time believing this, I did some bad things. When I was a kid, I did some bad things. I did some things that were wrong. I did some things that my mom and dad said, absolutely do not do. And it was almost like sick them to a dog. You know, so what I call the Romeo and Juliet syndrome. Tell somebody not to do something, they want to do it. Tell a teenager don't do it, and it makes them compelled almost to want to do it. It's crazy. We're, we're bad people. I, I was that way. I mean, my mom and dad say, don't do this, don't do that. It's bad for you and all this. And I'm thinking, man, there must be something to that. But you know, when I would be out and doing something wrong, and I would see my dad, I never could look him in the eye. I could look at him like this. Hey, Dad, how you doing? I didn't want to look. It was something about looking him in the eye. Something about, I knew I had violated something. I wasn't old enough a lot of times as you're growing up. You don't, know, you don't know all the complexities of what you did, but you know that you did something that was a violation of authority. And that man, that dad that God gave you, loved you, and was, was providing for you, and literally your mother had birthed you, whether it be mother or father, when they told you not to do something and you did it, what did you have? You had alienation. It separated you from your, the, the best friend in your entire world typically is your mom and dad. Nobody will give themselves for you like your mom and dad typically. Not everybody has good mom and dads, but most mom and dads will sacrifice themselves in every way you can sacrifice yourself for your children. And yet, those people, the, and, and there's nobody like your mom and dad, by the way, once they're gone, the Bible calls you an orphan. You don't even want to look at them. As a, as a young teenager, I smoked cigarettes. And I uh, was horrible. I smoked cigarettes, and my dad and mom didn't smoke. They, got, they used to smoke. They got saved, and they quit smoking because it's bad for you. And it's hard to be a good testimony when you're addicted to something, right? I mean, and cigarettes are addictive. Come on. They don't have to do no tests on that. As I was, I was smoking, and, and uh, my dad would say, hey, son, I got Wednesday afternoon off. You want to go with me and your mom to the, to the lake? He had a little place on Long Lake in Michigan. Let's go water skiing. 
And that was, uh, he had the boat. He was paying for everything. It was my mom and dad. We could go water skiing. Anybody in his right mind would say, man, let's go water skiing. Because in Indiana, you got like one month for summer. You got that June getting to it. July, you got it. And August, it's beginning to fade away. Northern Indiana. And so I should have like been like, yeah, but I, you know, and I, I wanted to go. I wanted to go. There was something in me wanted to go, but I thought, if I go, I won't be able to smoke. I traded the fellowship of my mom and dad. Oh, I'd give to be with them now. Oh, I'd love to hear him say, Bill, how about you and I go one more time? I traded cigarette for his fellowship. I was alienated. This is what I'm getting at. Alienated. When you do wrong and your authority, you know your authority is against it and you do it anyway, it separates you from your authority. Sin separates you. Oh, you should hate sin this morning. Rather than rather than coddle it, rather than get in bed with it, rather than, than cherish it, it's, it's destroying every good thing that ever God could give you. Because in essence, it's alienating you from your heavenly Father who wants to do you good, who wants to bless you. And I think it is Deuteronomy 8. He says to the children of Israel, if you follow what I've told you to follow, I'll cause you to be the head and not the tail. I'll cause you to be the leader of all nations and not the follower. I'll cause you to be the lender to people, not the borrower. I'll bless you. I'm the God, he says, that gives wealth. I'm the God that gives you life. Please, listen to what I'm saying. My mom and dad were a source of life for me. I can say with assuredly the reason that these uh, Roman soldiers shook with fear and passed out is because they realized that they were standing before someone that was holy. Look through the Bible and do a little study on anybody that was confronted by an angel or Christ and look at the reaction. Look at the reaction of Daniel. Look at the reaction of John. Look at the reaction of Paul the apostle on the road to Damascus. Look at the reaction of anybody that faced somebody holy and they went on their face. The first thing they want to do is hit the ground. Well, that's not who we are. We're proud, puffed up, cocky. You won't be cocky. You won't be puffed up. You won't be proud when you stand before Jesus someday. If you haven't made peace with him, if your sins are not gone. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. That's what makes me able to face God 
That's what makes me be able to go to the throne room of God and seek mercy and grace to help in time of need. I don't have anything, and I would never be able to face the throne room of God if Jesus hadn't said, said my blood has washed your sins away. Oh, unrepentant sinner, if you've not known fear here, you will know fear there. No matter how big or tough and brave you may be, when you stand, die, and stand before Jesus Christ, not having made peace with him through the, his shed blood, not having repented and trusted in his shed blood, his... his uh, what he did on Calvary, not having believed and received. You will be afraid like you've never been afraid before. Are you looking forward to seeing Jesus this morning? Matthew chapter 24, verse 30 says, then then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. I'm not sure what that is. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. By the way, this is exactly what he told the Sanhedrin in Mark chapter 14, verse 62. He said, you're going to see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory. And the high priest ripped his garment and says, what more do we need of witnesses? We've heard with our own ears his blasphemy. They knew who he was talking about. Deity was coming. Because you read Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13, 14, you'll be, it'll just makes it very clear that who's coming is deity, God. So they crucified him. Boy, I wouldn't want to be those boys. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 said, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. How can every eye see him? And they also which pierced him. Wait a minute. They've been dead 2,000 years. People that pierced him have been dead 2,000 years. He's coming in the future, of this, of, at least it's the future of 2023. How can they see him? That's because they're going to be down in Hades. They've been in Hades since they pierced him and they died. They've been in Hades. Even when it says every eye shall see him, it means every eye shall see him. Every demon that ever was, ever was made is going to see him. The devil is going to see him. Those in Hades and have uh, been waiting are going to see him. Those on the surface of the earth whether it be on the one side or the other doesn't make any difference. Miraculously, they are going to see him. Well, some have said Jesus is coming or maybe over a 24-hour period. This is the second coming, by the way. And the earth rotates and then in every chance, well, you want to make it that way, fine. But I think God supernaturally can do what he wants to do. He can make you dream whatever he wants you to dream. He can make you see vision whatever he wants to make you see. You don't have any problem with every eye shall see him. It says it there, Revelation 1, 7. All the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Now look at that. In Matthew 24, 30, it says, they'll all mourn because of him. In Revelation 1, 7, it says that they'll all wail because of him. In Revelation 2, 18, it says 
And unto the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. That may give you some reason. And then Revelation 19.12 says, His eyes were as a flame of fire. That's actually the account of the second coming. And his head were many crowns, his name written that no man knew but himself. If you haven't made peace with God through Jesus Christ, you're going to be like one of those folks. You're going to mourn when he comes. You're going to wail when he comes. You're going to hate the fact that he's coming. They say later on in the book of Revelation, oh, mountains fall on us and hide us from the face of the one. From Remember I told you when I sinned against my dad, I never wanted to look him in the face. Remember when I, I told you when I sinned against my mom, I never wanted to look him in the face. That's a precursor of what unsaved people are going to struggle when Jesus himself comes, which is their father, which is their creator of all. He made everything. According to the book of Colossians and other places, the book of Hebrew, book of Colossians, he made everything. You say, well, I don't believe. Don't make any difference. You will then. But it'll be too late. Because then you're going to face Jesus as your judge, not as your savior. Now this morning, you're sitting there comfortable with no pain, no threat, not scared, hopefully. And God's given you this window of opportunity to confess your sins before him. Meaning, if you'll confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God is raising from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You have this opportunity to be saved now and to make peace with God now. All I can tell you is do it. I got doubts. I got questions. Do it. And God will answer your questions. A lot of times I've been reasoning with people about being saved, and they'll say, well, I got this question, I got that question. I say, how about we forget all those questions and we go through the gospel? And I tell them about Jesus dying for them and being buried and raising again the third day, and there's power in the gospel. And they say, would you like to trust him as your personal Savior? And he said, I would. Are you willing to repent and by faith, believe that he was the one who he said he was? Yes, I do believe he was. I said, let's pray, and they pray a simple childlike prayer and trust Christ and receive him as their Savior. After the whole thing's over and they get up, and they say, bro, I feel different. Something's happened. I say, now what about those questions? He says, what questions? Questions are gone. You won't have any questions. Settle that. You don't have to worry about the questions. The Holy Spirit will come in when you get saved, and he'll settle those questions for you. Where did the Bible come from? And how could it be transmitted all these years? And how could it still be accurate? All that stuff will be settled for you after you get saved. We call it being saved. You know, that's what the Bible calls it. The word saved means be rescued. It's like when somebody drowning, you take a ring they have on boats. They're required by the law to have a ring, a, a life ring of some sort. You'll be able to throw to somebody that goes overboard. You take that life ring. Somebody says, help me. You throw that life ring. That's the Lord Jesus. He wants to throw you the life ring of salvation. Wants to forgive all your sins so that you don't have anything between you and him. And when he comes, you won't mourn like these people. You won't wail like these people. You'll look joyously at his coming. Don't dread. 2 Timothy 4.8 says this. 
Henceforth there was laid up for me a crown of righteousness, Paul's talking, talking about the end of his life, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me of that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Now think about that real long and hard. He's going to give a crown of righteousness to those who love his appearing. You can't love somebody's appearing if you're, if you're doing wrong and you're alienated and you've got a guilty conscience. You cannot love. You're not looking forward to seeing them. But if you've taken care of that judgment ahead of time, glory to God. You say, how do I do that? Well, let me give you a here's how. Just real simple. First of all, face your sins. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, no, not one. Face your sins. Quit trying to hide. Quit trying to alibi. Quit trying to avoid. Quit trying to con. Quit trying to deny you're a sinner. The Bible says all your supposed good deeds are as menstruous rags. It's a horrible idea before God. Secondly, repent. What's repentance? It's a change of mind. I'm not going to live my life my way anymore. I'm not going to believe my way anymore. I'm going to believe Jesus' way. I'm going to walk with Jesus. Now, you don't all know what that means, and it's not a work. It's a change of mind. It's a belief. Repent and faith is required to be saved. You change your direction, change your mind, say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I don't know how I'm going to do it, because so far I haven't done very well, but I believe Jesus died. He was buried and rose again the third day. I believe he can forgive my sins. Oh, Jesus, please have mercy upon me. I'm a sinner need to be saved. Don't alibi it. Confess it. Get it out, get it out on the table. And the Holy Spirit of God will come in and make peace between you and God. The Bible calls it reconciliation. He'll make reconciliation between you and him. Then place your faith, your life, your trust, your work in the Lord Jesus Christ in Calvary. Fourthly, simply pray and ask him. People get right up to being saved, but then they don't ask God. You got Listen, I can't get saved for you. I would if I could. But you have to, but as many as it says in John, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. The word power means legal right to become the sons of God. You gotta ask. You gotta ask. That's, that's what you got. You gotta ask. God makes you ask. You have to do it His way. Come and ask Him. I'd get, I was going back to my dad and being alienated from my dad. Of course, none of you ever were alienated from your dads, right? You innocent, good looking group of people. I'd go to Him and say, Dad, man, I've been doing something wrong. I know something's wrong, son. I knew something was wrong with you. He knew. I'm ashamed of myself. Confession. I'm ashamed of myself. I'm confessing. I'm repenting. Please, Dad, forgive me. I was asking, which is praying. Please forgive me, Dad. What do you think happened? You think he hit me? When you come to Jesus... With all your sin and violation, what do you think he's going to do for you? Come on, my son. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's put a ring on your finger. Let's have a little get-together. 
Let's have a fellowship. Let's celebrate. For my son, which was dead, now is alive and was lost, now is found. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. No wonder those Roman soldiers acted like women and the women acted like men. The women, they didn't have any fear. The three Marys, they're good. They're talking to this angel. Oh, he said, don't fear. I know you come to see Jesus. He's risen. and Meet him again. And tell, go back and tell the others he's risen. And he'll meet you in Galilee up there. He tells them that. He gives them some instructions. They go back and tell them. And you know the story from that point on. They had no, they had no. oh, people that are right with God long to see. Do you, do you, how many in here this morning long to see Jesus? Raise your hand. Ah, that's good, that's good. I long to see my Savior's face. Wow. Wow. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Thanks be to God, which gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. The law says I'm a sinner, and I disagree with it and said I'm a sinner. I can't save myself by any amount of good works. Forget all that. I can't make. I can't undo anything I've ever done. Jesus said, "I'll save you by my grace through faith, and I'll birth you into my family." How about you? Don't miss Jesus this morning. I don't know anything specific, but I can tell you this could be the last time for some folks that they ever hear the gospel. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. That's what, that's what we saw in Matthew 28.1 through 5. The righteous were bold, but the, the wicked, they, they shook and passed out. Which group do you want to be in? Our Heavenly Father, we pray this morning you'd come You'd explain it better than I could. May the Holy Spirit go ahead of the message. May you prepare the hearts of some people in this room that are alienated from God. You don't want to see Jesus' face. You're not looking forward to seeing God's face because of what you've done. You know you've done things in secret that are abominable. All those sins can be forgiven. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Hallelujah. That's as, as the organ softly plays the invitation song. Maybe here here this morning say, Brother Bill, I've never personally repented and believed in Jesus Christ as the Savior that resurrected the third day. And I've never personally asked him to be my Savior, but I want to. I'm not going to embarrass you. I don't do this very often, but if you would have me to pray for you, I'd love to pray that you'd have the courage to do that. Maybe not here, maybe maybe when you leave, or maybe here, whatever you like. I'd love to pray for us. Anybody in this room say, Brother Bill, by raised hand, I want to trust Christ as my personal Savior. I'd like to trust Jesus. Anybody in this morning? You got courage enough to do it? You got courage? Our Father, we pray that you'd anoint this message that goes out over the air.
find the people that didn't need to hear it and the folks in this room, in Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.